we had just moved into our first new home. But after living there only 13 days, the unthinkable happened. And it put us into a tailspin of anger, frustration, and confusion. You can imagine the excitement as we had watched our builders construct this beautiful colonial-style home from the ground up. It was out in Dwaynesburg in a gorgeous setting across the road from Duane Lake. And it had a real country sort of feel about it that I loved. We were in heaven. And up to this point, we had lived for six years in a one-bedroom apartment. But with two growing children, that arrangement was getting pretty crowded. So we had prayed and prayed and sought God. And we felt the lot we bought out in Duanesburg was a genuine answer to prayer. This new house we were building was in fact covered in prayer, every phase of it from beginning to end. The elders of grace and their spouses, along with some other families and friends had come out during the construction process and prayed with us in the home. It was a very special moment we will never forget. We felt so cared for, like God was being sought every step of the way. And the Grace Congregation that was now three years old and about, was about 400 people strong was genuinely, genuinely excited for, for Debbie and me. We made the move and just 13 days later, on Saturday, April the 13th, 1996, our 771-foot well went dry. Time doesn't allow me to relate all the details, but please understand what this represented to us. It was a financial disaster as the house was now officially appraised at literally one-fourth of our mortgage amount. But it also represented the collapse of a dream a dream of having a peaceful place to escape the rat race of work and ministry. We couldn't even shower in our home until a solution was found. For the next six years, we would struggle to find an adequate solution to the water dilemma. Each and every day, I would take three empty gallon containers to the office and fill them at the faucet and then take them back home. And that would be our drinking water and cooking water at home. And perhaps most of all, when the well went dry, you know, it raised questions. It raised questions about exactly how much pain God will allow in our lives, even when we're seeking Him with all our hearts. Now, throughout this series, I'll share more details about our dry well fiasco and the impact of that experience on our lives. You know, I still, to this day, keep this rock in my office. It's prominently displayed there. I picked up this rock from our property just a few days after the well went dry and I wrote these words on it with a permanent black marker. Here's what I wrote, April the 13th. 1996, no water. When the well goes dry, 
will I panic or praise? Now for me, that whole experience has become a sort of metaphor for life. Because throughout life, the well goes dry, doesn't it? In all kinds of ways. And some of the topics that we're gonna look at in this series are when the well goes dry on your hopes and dreams, when the well goes dry on your marriage, when the well goes dry on your finances, when the well goes dry on your integrity or your health, or when the well goes dry on your faith and you just struggle to believe. We're gonna look at all of those and many more. This series that we start today is specifically designed to help all of us navigate tough times just like the ones we're going through right now. And I don't want you to miss a single one of these messages. We all need them. They're going to be incredibly relevant, trust me, very relevant to your life. Now, I wanna start today with a bit of an introduction. You see, on this rock, as I wrote these words, I'm essentially asking, what will I do? What will I do when I find myself in those situations where the well is dry? And so that's the title of today's message. A few weeks ago, I said, it's not what happens to us, but how we respond to what happens to us that makes all the difference. And some of you feel like, can we be honest? You, you feel like the well has gone dry in your life. I mean, your finances are in a shambles right now. Your marriage is troubled. Or the well has gone dry on your health. You once had a positive vision for your life, perhaps, but the well has gone dry on your hopes and dreams, and you wonder where all of this is going. And the question for all of us when the well goes dry is how are we going to respond. Now, I'm going to break this down today in two basic questions. When the well goes dry, what does God want me to know? Because trust me, there's some things I can know that will make a huge difference. And second, what does God want to do in and through me when the well goes dry? So let's jump in. First, when the well goes dry, Here's that first question. What does God want me to know? Well, there are two things, just two, that I'm gonna highlight. Now, there are many more we could look at, but if you can just know and really know these two things, it will help you avoid a mountain of misunderstanding and needless pain. Now, there may still be pain, but knowing these things will help us avoid needless pain and help us make much wiser decisions. So here we go. The first thing we need to know is that bad things happen to both good and bad people. Please, please mark this. If you don't understand, and I mean truly know that deep in your soul, you are likely going to be bitter and disillusion right off the bat. Bad things happen to both good and bad people. Now, listen, 
I'm using good and bad there as relative terms because obviously compared to God, no one, no one is truly good. We're all on a sliding scale of relative goodness. I think you know what I mean. It's so critical we understand that trouble and hard times, it's just no respecter of persons. I mean, trouble comes to all. When Adam and Eve sinned, they introduced the sin virus into the world and everything was thrown off kilter. God said to Adam, because of your sin, there will be thorns and thistles and you will have to work by the sweat of your brow. Later in Romans 8, 22, the apostle Paul writes, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, the whole creation, everything you can see with your eyes is out of sync. It's groaning. The air's polluted. The water's contaminated. The ground is poisoned. The weather is affected. And our bodies, our bodies are vulnerable to germs, viruses, disease, and yes, aging. This is not the world the way God designed it. And thank God it's not the world as he's going to leave it. But in the meantime, are you listening to me? In the meantime, we live in a world that is contaminated by sin and we suffer the fallout. Jesus himself said, as recorded in Matthew 5, he, that is God the Father, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here's what that means. For the most part, this world is operated by the laws of nature that God ordained and he seldom intervenes on those laws of nature. That means, let's be very specific, that means fires can kill children, as well as adults. That means tornadoes will hit churches as well as brothels. And that means cancer will affect Christians as well as unbelievers. In Luke's gospel, chapter 13, Jesus asked, hey, those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, he said, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, said Jesus. That tragedy occurred. You want to know why? Because the, we live in a messed up world. That's why it happened. Sin has this whole planet out of kilter. And it's a really helpful thing if we understand that God isn't directly causing those tragedies, though he is permitting them by restraining his power temporarily. Oh, how I hope you understand this point. If you don't understand and truly know it deep in your soul, you are likely to be bitter and disillusioned right off the bat. And you're much less likely to respond wisely when the well goes dry in your life. But the second thing God would want us to know when the well goes dry, and I want Christians, those of you who are genuine Christ followers, to please listen closely to what I'm about to say. 
The second thing God wants us to know is that God's amazing promises are for people who are in a personal covenant relationship with him. Now, why would I bring that up? Why is that so important to know? Well, as we've just seen, bad things happen to both good and bad people. God sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous, according to Jesus. But, 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 when it comes to accessing God's comfort, his peace, his promises, whether you are a genuine believer or not makes all the difference in the world. Trust me on this. Now, to illustrate this, to make the point, I want you to consider some of these amazing promises for people who are facing confusing or painful times. Let's look at just two or three. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 10? This is one of my favorites. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But get this promise now, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What a promise. Or, or how about this one? Try this one on, Romans 8, 28. Oh, I love this. And we know, Paul says, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What an incredible promise. How, how comforting that is. One more, just for the sake of driving the point home. James gives an incredible promise incredible promise from the Lord in chapter one of his little letter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Whoa, amazing promises. But question, what is the one thing, now think about this, what's the one thing that all of those incredible promises and many others that we could, we could read dozens of them, what's the one thing they have in common? Answer, they were all written to people who have a genuine personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Please don't miss this. Those are for real genuine followers of Jesus Christ and no one else. So when you and I come to someone who's not yet joined the family of God, they've not repented of their sin, they've not opened their heart and life to Jesus Christ and invited him to call the shots, and we give them one of our family promises like one of these I've just read? Can I be brutally honest? We're misleading people. That's like if your father is rich and yet you go to a friend of yours and you say, hey, listen, when my father dies, you've got a big inheritance coming. No, they don't. Not unless they get adopted. <clears throat> now here's what God promises you today, whoever you are, by the way, if you'll give him the steering wheel of your life, 
He will forgive all your sins. He will adopt you into his family and he will come inside of you through the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel now. And he will begin to change you from the inside out. But listen, it's only those who've truly given Jesus the steering wheel of their life who can claim these promises. You say, oh, come on, wait a minute, Pastor Rex. Doesn't God care when unbelievers hurt? You bet he does. Absolutely he cares. And he does everything. He has already done everything he needs to do so that they can be saved. But God has reserved most of the comforting promises for those who've surrendered their lives to him. Oh, that's so important to remember. Now, maybe you have an unbelieving friend and all hell is breaking loose in their life right now. The truth is they really don't belong to Jesus. They, they haven't committed their life to him. But, but let's say that you go to your friend and you say, now look, don't sweat it. Because you know, in all things, God works for the good. Guess what? You're blowing smoke at that point. That's no promise to a non-believer. That promise is explicitly, the text is so explicit. It's for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Or for example, if you say, you know what? You'll be able to handle this. Chill out. God will get you through this. He'll never give you more than you can bear up under. No, not when they haven't given God the steering wheel of their life. So I hope the point is made. Please understand as Christ followers, let's not misrepresent God's promises to people. Accessing God's comfort starts with a genuine personal relationship. So let me ask you, do you have that? Do you have a relationship with God? You know, I'm absolutely amazed at how many people cry out, why God, why? and point their finger and shake their finger at God in ridicule and scoffing, when before that point, all they ever said to God was, leave me alone. Leave me alone, God, I don't want anything to do with you. But then bad things happen and they go, why God, why? Have you noticed this to be true in your own experience? Philip Yancey, one of my favorite writers, tells of an actress whose husband in a drunken stupor had fallen off of their yacht and drowned. And with big tears in her eyes, this woman who had had no orientation toward God, only sarcasm in fact, and contempt for God up to this point, no interest in God whatsoever, wells up with tears and says, I just don't understand how a good God could let this happen. She hadn't thought about God, asked about God, wondered what God wanted her to do for her entire life. But suddenly she was wondering how a good God could allow this to happen as if she were a family member. So if you know that bad things happen to bad people and good people, 
And you know that God's promises are mostly for people who are in a personal relationship with him. You are at least poised to respond wisely when the well goes dry. But secondly today, when the well goes dry, I wanna ask this second question. What does God want to do in and through me? Well, there are usually far more than three things, but I want to mention three things you can be sure God is always wanting to do in and through us when the well goes dry. These should be very encouraging, by the way, to those of you who are in one of those dry well situations today. First, first, you can always be sure he wants to develop my character. We read a passage a moment ago. I'd like to return to it briefly once again. James chapter one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's so easy for our faith to be shallow, for us to get caught up in the materialistic mindset of this world and begin to begin to evaluate everything in terms of our car, our house, our clothes, our sports teams, our vacations, our entertainment, our ego satisfaction. <laughs> oh, but the Lord has a way. Oh, doesn't he have a way of making those things seem suddenly insignificant when they can't even alleviate our pain? You see, suffering forces us to look up. And instead of just looking around, we look up and God weans us. God weans us away from temporal things that won't really matter a hundred years from now. And God focuses our attention on the eternal. Trials have a way of making us long for heaven. Romans 8, 18 reads, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. When you go through trials and suffering, you know you can rejoice because God is developing your character. You can count on that. Secondly, secondly, whenever we go through one of those dry well experiences, God says, I want to deepen you. You can be sure God wants to deepen your trust in him. You know, when you think about it, one of the most gracious things God does for us is not, I repeat, not to reveal the details about the future. And yet in our culture, people go to psychics, they consult their horoscope, they go to palm readers to try to figure out what is going to happen in the future. But in his word, God says, don't consult those people about the future. Instead, trust your life and your future to me. Hey, if you knew that the next 364 days were going to be pain-free, and then on the 365th day, you were going to be in an automobile wreck and be in the hospital for a week, you know what? That knowledge would ruin the next 364 days. So God mercifully shields us from the knowledge of the future. And he says, look, trust in me. 
as the faithful creator. And I will see to it that in the end, you are richly blessed. I love this verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Wow, that verse is a goldmine of truth. It says that those who are suffering according to the will of God, and that means in this case, God has allowed it. God has allowed the suffering. It says we're to entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Trust is a part of any good and healthy relationship. We must learn to trust. So, in the dark times, keep trusting God and keep doing what He says. Believe that He has your future in His hands. Now, let's say that you've been betrayed by somebody. They've done you wrong. You know what the natural thing is? The natural thing is to get revenge, to make them pay big time. That is the natural response. But what does the Lord say to do to those who've done wrong to us? He says, forgive them and treat them with kindness. But that requires trust in God to act that way. Why? Because I've got to trust God's promises that vengeance, listen, vengeance is his business, not mine, it's his. If I struggle with forgiveness, you know what it reveals about me? It reveals I've got a trust issue. I don't really trust God's promise. Another example where trust is at stake is, is when the Bible tells us to be generous. When I'm in the middle of a financial crisis, the Bible still tells me to trust God and continue to have a generous spirit. But that's a trust issue. When I can't see God in the midst of something, that is a trust issue. When I have a terminal disease, that's a trust issue. But even if God doesn't physically heal me from it, He's still with me. And he will eventually, either on earth or in heaven, take care of it forever. So whatever bad stuff you're in right now, friend, listen, ask yourself this question today and this week. Where are the issues? Please ask yourself this. Where are the issues where God is saying, trust me, trust me? What would those issues be for you? If you, want to be able, if you want to be able to call him the God of all comfort, which is what scripture says he is, who comforts us in all of our troubles, then trust him. And if you don't trust him, you will not experience the fullness of his amazing comfort. And finally today, when the well goes dry, one of the things God wants to do through me and through you is to deploy us to help others. God wants to deploy me to help others. Please hear this. In the midst of every single situation, there is the ability for God to bring good out of bad. He's an expert at that. Let Satan take his best shot, and believe me, God can bring good out of it. 
if you'll trust him. So take the high road and ask now, ask this question, how can this be used to help others? The bad things you're going through, brothers and sisters, can help draw you closer to the Lord. The areas where you've been hurt the most are probably the very areas where you can help other people the most. No, (laughs) I'm not signing up for another scar. It's just that if life is going to scar me, I want to see how the Lord can bring good out of it and turn my scars into stars. I know it's trite, but it's true. The goal is if you're hurting, get your eyes off yourself and onto others. It really, really works. God says, I want to parlay your pain into productivity. He wants to deploy you, brothers and sisters, to help others. Now, (laughs) I have to chuckle even as I say this, it really comes as a shocker to some Christians that God's primary concern is not their daily happiness. But that's the truth. God's primary concern is the accomplishment of his will in this world. A military general wants to keep the morale of the troops up. But the primary purpose of an army is not individual happiness for every soldier, but it's the accomplishment of a mission. And there are some soldiers who get wounded and may not be happy. And some soldiers who die to accomplish the mission. God's primary concern is not our individual happiness, but that his mission in this world is accomplished. And in the accomplishment of that mission, sometimes we have to go through challenging seasons. Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament was sold by his hateful brothers as a slave. And he wound up in Egypt. And God did not come to Joseph and explain it all in advance and say, hey, Joe, man, hey, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be quite unhappy for a while, buddy. There'll be at least a dozen years of tough times, even prison. But eventually you'll become prime minister. And then there'll be a horrific crisis. A famine will devastate the land. But take heart, Joseph, because your brothers are going to show up and you're going to save your family because of this. Listen, God explained none of that in advance. Joseph had to be asking, where's God? when the well goes dry. But when it all came together and there was a famine and the brothers came and bowed before him, Joseph said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You see, God did not put Joseph in Egypt simply to strengthen his character or to help him trust God more. He put Joseph in Egypt to save the Israelite nation. God was deploying Joseph to Egypt to help others. So let me ask you, has the well gone dry in your life? How you respond when the well goes dry says a whole lot about your understanding of who God is and what he is doing. He's developing your character and deepening your trust in him. And through it all, through it all, God wants to deploy you to help others. 
And I wanna tell you, that makes life really, really meaningful. Would you pray with me, please? For all of those for whom the well has gone dry, whether it's on their marriage, relationships, their vocation, their finances, their health. Maybe their hopes and dreams have just dried up and blown away. I pray today that whatever it is that you would right now show them what you wanna do in and through them, Father. I pray right now for an injection of hope and encouragement and strength to face this thing that's going on And may this day, may this day be a turning point where we set our eyes solidly on you. You are the author, the finisher. You are the one in charge and you're the one who alone can bring good out of bad. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.